Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Coming up, a show we pre-recorded at the Mackinac Policy Conference on Mackinac Island last week, featuring the head of the Michigan House Democrats, Donna Lazinski, Detroit and international businesswoman, Cindy Paskey, and former Lithuanian ambassador to the United States, Ziggy Pavlonis. And welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Detroit Regional Chamber's annual Mackinac Policy Conference. Back live this year after two years of interruption because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're talking with politicians, with business leaders, philanthropic interests, media members, uh, about why we come up here every year to discuss uh, our problems, our challenges in the state of Michigan and in Southeast Michigan in particular. Joining us now is somebody who is at the heart of trying to figure out how to meet those challenges in the state of Michigan. Donna Lazinski is the Democratic leader in the House of Representatives in Lansing. Uh, Donna, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you. Very happy to be here in one of the purest Michigan places in Michigan. It is, and this has been like a pure Michigan week, too. I cannot remember the last time we had three days of absolute sunshine and clear skies on Mackinac, right? I I will tell you, um, given the mode of transportation here, I am not sad not to have puddles. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, Okay, so I have been asking uh, just about everybody this question Tell me why you're here. Why do you come up here every every year to do this? What is the value, I guess, that you get out of the conversations you have here? And then tell me about uh, your agenda this particular year. Are there are there goals that you have for mm-hmm. for this week? Great. You know, thank you for that question. Um, for me, the value of Mackinac and this conference in particular was really put into um, high contrast with the pandemic. You know, one of the things we learned during the pandemic, at least for me, was we had relationships and I could I could lean into those. I could lean into the networks that I had. But when we're looking now post-pandemic and we have big things going on in Michigan, both big opportunities and big challenges, the ability to see people in person. And, uh, you know, you've seen this week, the porch is stacked and I'm just literally bumping into folks. You see their tag, you see you know, who they're here representing. And you start a conversation based on something you just heard 10 feet down the porch. Mm -hmm. And those are invaluable as we're working towards real solutions uh, to Michigan's challenges and how to really grab some of these opportunities and run with them for the future. Yeah. So, I mean, you are the the Democratic House leader. Obviously, you have business to conduct up here as well. Mm -hmm. But but are there specific things this year that you you feel like you could move the ball on, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. on Mackinac? 
Yeah, frankly, absolutely. Um, one of the things over the last year that I'm really proud of our Democratic caucus for is we delivered the majority of votes um, in order to move forward the economic development package up at the Capitol. We know and we have seen and heard at this conference over and over, and what we've seen and heard from our constituents and businesses in our communities is that the economic landscape is shifting rapidly in Michigan. The movement towards electronic ve- uh, electric vehicles, the movement uh, towards fewer parts, and we're going to have to fill all of these supply chain jobs uh, that are going to be lacking. We need to bring another industry to Michigan. We need to make sure that we're securing our automotive future. That's been our topic. Democrats delivered 47 votes on that in the state house, and Republicans could only deliver 41. And we need to figure out a way for us to come together around Michigan's future and be united. And this conference is invaluable. And my goal here is to learn how we not only do that around the around the important things and the proposals, but also how do we, as Michigan, grab those intangibles mm-hmm. so that folks can see how united we are and how much we want them here to work mm-hmm. and build and grow in our state. Yeah. So uh, if you, I guess, read political coverage of Lansing, if you follow social media about uh, Lansing, I think you'd, you'd be justified in coming away with the idea that uh, that nothing gets done <laughs> because nobody gets along. No one can can work together. And I think there are some you know bright line examples of that. Things mm-hmm. that people are frustrated that can't get done because of political differences. But I, I also think it's important to, to talk about the the ways in which that's not true. Uh, yeah. the, you know, it's a more complicated picture than that, I guess. It is absolutely more complicated picture than that. And so I'm just going to take one quick example. When I think about, um, I'm term limited out. I've got about six months left here <laughs> in that six-year term. We're going to talk about that in a second, too. And but, uh, so <laughs> when I look and I think about where I started, I started, my kids attended um, a federal Title I elementary school. And one of the things that I know is every child deserves to start kindergarten ready to learn. And that means we have to have access to universal preschool. So I think we, um, you know, we've had some big challenges here in Michigan with the pandemic. But for the first time in our history, we have instituted 25,000 more preschool slots. We have the equivalent of universal pre-K for any child um, who wants to attend. We have funded that for the dollars also to build the classrooms, staff, fill them up with materials, and staff the teachers. And so that's a big thing we got done on a bipartisan basis. And we just got done this big bipartisan putting forth an economic development fund that has already secured one major investment from our from our hometown heroes, General Motors, mm-hmm. um, and we look forward to more. And those are really big things done for the hardworking families of Michigan. And, and getting those things done requires a kind of relationship building between yourself and the speaker, between the, the House Minority Leader it and the, the Majority Leader. That we don't get to see as much of, I think, uh, as we see when you when you don't get along and you're arguing. You know, there are definite policy differences. You know, I, I've been very clear in my time on the Ann Arbor Public School Board. Um, I wrote with my colleagues a policy to allow every school to make the choice whether or not to have guns in their schools. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to move as a legislator, you know, past that accomplishment. Right? There are things that we, that in our caucuses right now, we fundamentally disagree about on school safety. But, again, if we look at the outcomes, largest ever single ever investment in K-12 education, universal pre-K, the investment in roads and infrastructures. I know we're annoyed with the orange cones, but those are temporary. The potholes were permanent. Uh, you know, and as we look again towards economic development, really coming together around those things that will make generational change uh, for Michiganders and make our, all of our lives better. Yeah. Of course, all of these things are easier to do and to talk about when there is 
all kinds of money around that, <laughs> that wasn't there before. So and all of those things were accomplished <laughs> before we had higher than projected That's revenues. Right. And That's so, right. um, you know, uh, well, I have a little bit of a joke, but but yes, more money, more problems. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, that's kind of where we are right now. Um, and my teenage, I love that you said that. My teenage sons could say that in a more authentic right. way than yeah, I can. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, no, and then that's where we're looking right now. So, look, we don't have enough money right now projected to say yes to everything, yeah. but we've got a, a really good source of revenue. And I think our challenge is going to be to say yes to one-time investments because what we know is these projections aren't far into the future and we can't spend tomorrow's dollar today. We can spend what we know we have in front of us, but let's be very careful not to spend tomorrow's dollars today. I think that's a really important point because, uh, you know, it, it is easy to get caught up in, well, look, at there's it just is. there's money for whatever we want at this point right. and, and not to think about the, the, the strategic way to spend it so that you get years of impact uh, off of you know one-time dollars in some right. cases now the revenue thing i think is is different from the federal the federal money Absolutely. that we're swimming in because right? we got both right yeah, now let's both. be honest right. we've got the federal dollars which clearly have lots of strings you trip over the strings trying to get to them sure. so those have to be used for very specific purposes so really it is this higher than projected revenue that yeah. came in um, yeah. mostly due to consumer spending mostly due to sales tax revenue and so it's those dollars that we don't right now every indication is that that is not going to continue yeah. so let's set some aside for when that doesn't continue we don't want 2008 2010 all over again right you know that's a horror show that we want to you know keep in the rear view mirror sure sure and no reserves right? no reserves so let's be smart about it let's use it on one-time purposes and let's not do anything drastic that means we're spending uh, those dollars yeah you know, yeah. committing them from the future for today. Yeah. Can't do that. I'm talking with uh, Donna Lazinski. She is the Democratic leader in the Michigan House. She also represents Michigan's 52nd legislative district uh, in Lansing. Um, I, I do want to talk about the, the tax relief that people mm-hmm. are, I think, very hungry for yes. right now. And it's a political year, so you have politicians who are also really excited about that. Uh, and then you've got these revenues, which which suggest, well, yeah, maybe we could give uh, a tax break. Yeah. But it, but then again, if you build that into the budget, that's there every year, and the revenues may may not be. What do the negotiations look like uh, in the House and in the legislature generally over over that whole question? Yes, I appreciate that question. It kind of goes back um, to what we were just talking about. I um, am supportive of us doing a one-time rebate or relief check to folks based on current high projected revenues. That is dollars we know are coming in, we can spend them today, and we don't hurt the future. If we look at lowering a tax rate, you're not going to get those until the next time you get a refund, which is about a year from now, and it'll be eight to forty-one dollars for mm-hmm. for most for like eighty percent of the families in Michigan. That's not helpful. Let's be frank. That's what not going to move the needle, yeah. right? But a five hundred dollar relief check right now could move the needle. When I look at what I think is the best tax proposal out there, and I'm very excited, this is one of those proposals that has uh, Republicans in the House have proposed, Republicans in the Senate have proposed, and I'm doing actually a panel on it uh, this afternoon. Um, it's called the Earned Income Tax Credit. And yes. what it says is for hardworking families, we're going to match the federal tax credit you get. And this is a proven way to grow labor workforce participation. We know our small businesses are hungry to have folks jump back into the workforce. We know our folks in Michigan are hardworking and want to work, and we need to do something that makes sense. And so the EITC, it's called, or that tax credit um, for working, hardworking families and, yeah. and workers, 
actually makes your economy grow, puts more workers into the workforce, helps small businesses, and re positively returns to the budget. That is a smart ongoing tax cut, and yeah. that I will be happy to support. And, and how likely do you think it is that you'll be able to convince your Republican colleagues. Uh, Look, I understand that I am in the minority party up in the Capitol. Yes. I understand my position um, as the minority leader. Um, I'm very happy to put my fingerprints and move things around um, and have my name on nothing if that's what it takes to get it done. <laughs> right. Uh, so you mentioned uh, just a little earlier that y you're going to be leaving the legislature because yes. you are term limited. Uh, this is this is a term that I think is, is kind of a curse here in Michigan. Uh, and, and, you know, look, I, it's one of those things that I think even the framers of, of term limits, the people who came up with it, would not have predicted, I think, what what we've experienced since we since yes. we had them, and and many of them have come out and said, "Look, this this is they're actually work. leading the charge right now on a ballot initiative <laughs> right. to change it right. um, because it has been so devastating." Yeah. Yes, yeah. So so talk about the effect, though. I think it's it's really difficult for you know average citizens to understand yeah. what limitations that puts on the lawmaking process and yeah. that our inability to get some things done really is about uh, the lack of expertise that people are able to build up because they're not there long enough, uh, the power of uh, lobbyists, which is enhanced by the fact that they're the only ones there permanently. Yep. Um, but but, I, but give us a sense of, yeah. of that frustration. So I appreciate that question because you know exactly what this conference embodies is relationships. So here's the deal. You come in, it takes you you know a few months just to find the bathrooms in the Capitol, mm -hmm. right? You're trying to sort out. Um, we've got people from all walks of life. Uh, we have members as young as in their early 20s we have members who are in their 70s coming together, and everybody has their own learning process. You get together, um, you get things going, you start to meet your colleagues, and then all of a sudden, you know, 12, 13 months later, you're back into campaign season. And a third to a half of your colleagues now leave the chamber, a whole new set come in that you have to form relationships with. And then that happens one more time, and you're out. So what we've seen, I think there's only... Of uh, the in, in the chamber on the other side of the aisle, I think there's only 12 members remaining that I started that with six started years with. ago because yeah. of the turnover, folks moving on to different offices and other things. What that means is those big problems, and this is really the not sexy problems that this is actually a problem for, <laughs> is if you're there for a limited time, you want to solve a big sexy problem that everybody cares about. You don't want to solve a water uh, you know, water infrastructure, a sewer <laughs> sewage issue, a septic tank um, problem. We've got septic tank problems across the state. You're not who's going to work on those and be able to form the difficult relationships to get those solved? And so that's where we've seen in Michigan, we've seen disinvestment in, in roads and other big, complicated problems. Mm -hmm. We just don't have the relationships to solve them. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, the lobbying community, it's not looking to solve those problems. It's looking to solve the sexy problems of the big company or the, somebody who can hire and pay them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's their business model, and that should be their business model. Um, but it means that the fundamentals of Michigan are left to the side. Yeah. It also means that for, for someone like you, uh, who, who is uh, a leader uh, of, of the minority party in the House, you're someone who's only been there, though, for this Absolutely. is your sixth year, right? I mean, look at my job, quite frankly. I have 53 members of my caucus. We added one just a couple weeks ago in, this, in a special election. Um, I am, uh, you have my 53 colleagues mm -hmm. that we work together as a caucus. I have 110 staff across those offices. I have 40 central staff um, that provide services. 
And then we have the whole other side of life that as the leader you're responsible for as well on the campaign side. That's an awful lot to have. And frankly, uh, having four years of experience going in and then you have 18 months to accomplish all of that. So that's where you see high staff turnover because staff also with folks turning over so much, they don't stick around. They've got to find a new job every 18 months to two years. Um, Our staff are young. And as you mentioned, the lobbyists hold all of the institutional knowledge at that point. And we really need that knowledge to be in our governance structure. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are you going to go do when you're done? Isn't that a fascinating question? <laughs> I am really lucky. Um, I joke that I have the seven-year itch, um, and I, <laughs> I express it uh, professionally, not personally, which my husband is grateful for. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, I owned my own company before I came right. in here. Um, I've been a professional management com- uh, consultant before that. I decided to do, again, six years. I knew there was a window there of yeah. public service, and we'll just see what's next. I, I'm, I'm okay uh, not knowing right now. I'll worry about that um, after the election in November. Okay, well, uh, Donna Lozinski has been great to, to get to know you in the brief time you've been in the yes, legislature and uh, been leader. But uh, thanks for being with us here on Mackinac Island and on the Detroit Today. Great, thank you. Okay. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue with more of Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. We are coming to you from the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the annual Detroit Regional Chamber Mackinac Policy Conference. And joining me now is someone who I identify very strongly with the idea of Mackinac. Cindy Paskey is the founder, president, and CEO of Strategic Staffing Solutions. Uh, She is the chair of the Governor's Workforce Development Board, as well as co-chair of Mayor Mike Duggan's Workforce Development uh, Board. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's very happy to be on the show. Yeah, it's great to have you. It's great to have you here. Uh, Let's start with uh, Mackinac. Uh, What your ideas are for uh, this week, uh, for everybody up here. Things that you think we might actually accomplish even while we're here. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you for that. My idea is to support the chair um, Mm -hmm. and um, and the the agenda that Aaron's laid out, Mm -hmm. um, but also to to bring forward discussions on workforce, Um, you know, the the talent, solving the talent and providing people an opportunity, that's really what we as business leaders should be focused on. Um, And then my other agenda, of course, is, you know, we've been in Lithuania for almost 25 years, Mm -hmm. is to create... um, additional dialogue and awareness over the war that's going on in Ukraine and to bring light to what that means Mm -hmm. um, and to not let it fade away in conversation and discussion. So, and then, you know, of course, always to create awareness for strategic staffing solutions. We're over 30 years old and um, expanding and, and growing. But yeah. workforce, and then let's let's not forget to talk about what's going on in another part of the world. Sure, sure. Uh, let's talk about strategic staffing solutions, which is a, a business that started off very small with a very small idea. It is now kind of a nexus of 
discussion about workforce and opportunity and connecting people to the workforce through through opportunity. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, where did you even come up with the idea for that company? Well, thank you. I, I think, you know, it's. Um, I was in the industry. A lot of people don't realize that a long time ago I was actually an assembler programmer. Um, and I, I worked for a company that was in this industry and they were very rigid, they were very structured. And I felt that you could be a successful business, but you could do it in such a way that you not only listened to your customers, but you heard what they said. There's a difference. (laughs) Um, And that you found a way to provide opportunity to talent that traditionally may not have been hired. So that's what we set out to do in 1990, Mm -hmm. um, and we still set out to do it every single day. Uh, We just opened in Poland. Um, We opened in Argentina during the pandemic. Uh, So we're in 14 countries now, Mm -hmm. about 3,600 employees, um, a good portion of which are veterans. Um, And as you know, our our criteria for hiring is um, skills, willingness to acquire those skills um, and some individuals that are looking for an opportunity to change their station life. We'll do the rest. Yeah. And uh, the way that connects to this current conversation about workforce, especially in Detroit, I think is something um, that's pretty important. We are not preparing people the way we should for opportunity. We're not connecting them to that opportunity when they are prepared. You've been really focused on how we can do better. Thank you. I I have, and I believe in it. I believe that Detroiters want an opportunity, Detroiters want to work, and Detroiters have the ability to learn. Um, That being said, when business looks away from the barriers that many of our citizens are dealing with every day, um, they're they're never going to be able to have that talent available to them. Um, And... And fortunately, in many instances where a business person is, is different. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't look at what barriers need to be removed, um, how we can quickly do that. Um, and then what you find is is most of your talent challenges can be answered with the population you have in front of you. But you have to take a different path to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in many instances, I mean, we're an IT company, but in many instances, the answer is in technology. Mm. Right. The answer is actually talking to someone, understanding where they are, removing the barriers, providing the training that they need, um, and then making sure you support them when they engage in that work environment to start. And what you have at the end is someone that's very loyal, very appreciative, and in most instances will advance forward with the corporation that they've, they've joined. Yeah. Uh, the, the gaps that still exist uh, in Detroit, how, how do you see us addressing those? Uh, how do you see the mayor addressing those? How does the governor deal with them? You know, I'm, I'm really encouraged by the governor. I, I've seen her look at where we are with talent, 30 by 60, right? The, um, the opportunity to provide resources for our first responders, for our nurses, um, recognizing that all of those things remove barriers, allow someone to start to move forward, to be productive, to learn the skills they need to learn. Um, and I, and one of the things that I appreciate about our mayor is he recognized a few years back that if you want to be able to do successful economic development and job attraction, you need the workforce side sitting at the table. It's a two-person sale. When it's a two-person sale, it's almost always a close. When it's not, I mean, we can talk about all the things that entities are looking for, but all the, the, all the incentives, all the land, all of that means nothing if they don't think they can hire anyone to take those jobs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I'm talking with uh, Cindy Paskey, founder, president, and CEO of Strategic Staffing Solutions. We are in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the annual Detroit Regional Chamber Mackinac Policy Conference. Uh, Cindy, you are on stage a couple of times uh, up here on Mackinac. I want to talk about both of uh, the panels. Uh, one is, is pretty close to my own heart yes. and my own work. Uh, this is the, a case study in next generation civility. It is about the civility project that uh, Nolan Finley and I have started uh, in recent years to try to get people to be able to talk to each other a little better, understand Thank each other across, uh, across political and other divides. Uh, tell me what you bring to that panel. Oh, well, um, I believe that um, my role is, is to talk about where that impacts the world of business, mm-hmm. um, both positive and negative. And there's, there's a couple of ways. It's, um, it, it's real basic, right? It goes back to the ability to hire people, to talk to people that don't have a background that's similar to yours, that don't have experience the same as yours. Um, pause before you reply. Um, and what you find is you have individuals then that become part of your team. But I also feel that if you really want C-level and individuals to engage, they have to feel like they're going to walk into an environment that's civil, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're going to have a statement, not an opinion. Mm -hmm. They're going to stand up comfortably behind the podium in an orchestrated manner, but they're not actually going to engage because the ramifications are too great if they do. Yeah, yeah. And so you see a lot of frustration where people like, business needs to engage in this, and someone needs to have an opinion, and so on, and so on, and so on. And it's like, but you don't have an environment where that can happen anymore, right? And if if we can run through the examples that's happened in the last two years, and so someone doesn't agree when someone engages, and it impacts the business in in a significant way. And as CEO, my job is to make sure that we grow, we're financially strong, we never miss a payroll, we have good cash flow. Because when we do that, as you know better than most, we then can support communities, create opportunities for people that traditionally wouldn't have them. I can't put that at risk to step out on a topic and then have the ability for our team members to do their business because it's not something someone else likes. Yeah, yeah. Um, In your personal life, and I've known you a long time, I feel like this is a a core part of who you are and how you relate to people as well. This idea that we don't have to agree on politics, we don't have to agree on culture, but we can interact and we can maybe even be friends. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's um, it's the only way that Paul and I know how to see the world. And, and you're right, Stephen, you know that. Mm-hmm. And Nolan knows that. And, and it's just sometimes it's almost we can't comprehend that people can't themselves in that manner. We don't know another way to do that. And what we have is this amazing circle, many of whom you know, and we're thankful that you're a part of it, of individuals that are from different backgrounds, different opinions, and we're all very happy to be in a room together and actually have a conversation, right? And, and, a, and a traditional, sincere debate, right. and and then go share food together, or beverage <laughs> right. together, right. or a cigar, or whatever else it may be. Yeah. Well, and it's also important to remember that we're not talking about avoiding tough topics. We're not uh, talking about not arguing. We're not talking about being dispassionate. 
you can be all of those things in these spaces because you have an agreement with uh, the, the person you're interacting with that it is going to be civil to some degree, exactly. even when you're angry or even when you're right. uh, worked up. Sadly, uh, there's parts of the world where you can't. That's right. Where if you have that opinion, you are never seen again. Mm. And I think that that has been lost in a lot of our members here in the United States. Let's be very sincere and thoughtful about how we recognize we can have an opinion and we can have a debate and we can have a conversation because right now there's someone that's going to say something in another part of the world and they won't be seen again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the other panel that you're, you're doing is about how COVID and social change altered the role of CEOs. I'm really curious about uh, that topic as well. We haven't talked that much about what the world looks like uh, for, for business people on the what we hope is the back end of, uh, of the mm-hmm. pandemic. Uh, talk about that uh, that panel. Well, I'm very excited to be on that panel, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be on both of them. I think this one, um, you know, I'm, I, I am, you know, it's a, it's a great panel. I'm uh, honored to be sitting next to Wright Lassiter. Um, Wright and I shared approaches, and we're very early on on some decisions, so we looked at this with a very different lens. What, what COVID... Look, when you were a CEO, what happened is you had to expand for some CEOs the definition of what that meant. Mm. For some of us, it, it didn't have to. But if you watch the things that we had to add, your, your customers, your stockholders, your community and your employees, they needed to hear from you. And they needed, I felt, they needed to see you somehow. And you needed to have a presence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in S3, we had consultants that had to be forward-facing. We called it forward-deployed. They could not work from home. We were considered, you know, an A-minus category of industry. And all of our customers are A. So myself, my CFO, my vice president of HR, we were in the office every single day. Because I felt if a consultant that had to be out front made a phone call, they should know that we were there, too. We were there, yeah. That's right. Um, that's how I looked at being a CEO in COVID. And then, you know, I, the decisions that we made, I believe they were the right decisions. Paul believed they were the right decisions. The decisions weren't difficult to make. The, the ability to execute them quickly, appropriately, communicate them, roll them out, be consistent with them, mm-hmm. that was where the effort came in. Yeah. Um, and that required, I still feel, for the largest billion-dollar company, it still required the CEO to be hands-on. That traditionally doesn't happen, right? Sure, sure. Uh, what's permanently altered um, for business now that uh, the pandemic has happened to all of us? What's, what's not going to go back? I think um, what's permanently altered is a different understanding of how you actually communicate with your team, with your employees, whatever everyone refers them to. But also, I think what's permanently altered is um, understanding whether or not you really have a culture and how how strong that culture is and how much it's valued. And there were a lot of very large corporations that had all of the things that said they had a culture, um, and it turned into no loyalty, no retention, um, very tough lessons to learn. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm asking almost everyone this question this week, uh, and this is a question specifically for the folks who are back home, wherever that is in, Uh in the state of Michigan. Why is this conference important, and what is it that brings you here every year that that you feel is is so vital 
couple of things. I think that it's in 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 the world of business, politics, education, day to day effort. Um, the ability to create space to have conversation and dialogue is really, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's just the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, this is a very condensed set of days where people that it may take me six months to get on their calendar, I can walk down the hall and have that 10-minute conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to place a value on that. Um, it's also, when we have individuals like yourself, it's a way to continue to create awareness, to educate, to have dialogue. Are we going to come out of this with 10, you know, brilliant ideas? <laughs> Probably not. If I've done my job well, we're going to have, I'm going to have helped both the governor and the mayor continue to move the workforce dialogue forward. And I'm going to have created awareness of what's going on in Ukraine. Um, so in addition to the S3 agenda, I have the workforce agenda, and, and as you know, we've been in Lithuania 25 years, yeah. I have what's going on in the world agenda. Yeah. That's why it's important. Yeah. No, great answer. Great answer. Sidney oh, uh, Paskey, uh, president and CEO of Strategic Staffing Solutions. Always great to see you, but thank especially you, great to see you up here on Mackinac Island. Thank you. Thanks. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I am Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm glad you've joined us. Uh, we're coming to you from the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island during the Detroit Regional Chamber's annual Mackinac Policy Conference. Uh, I'm joined now by two people who are really trying to bring more attention to what's going on in Ukraine uh, and doing it from a Detroit perspective. Cindy Paskey is the founder, president, and CEO of Strategic Staffing Solutions. And also with her is Zygmuntis Pavlonis, who is for a former Lithuanian ambassador to the United States, a member of the Lithuanian parliament, and served as Lithuania's ambassador to both the United States and Mexico. Uh, Ziggy, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. So y- you have been focused, Ziggy, on the idea of the genocide that is that you would call what the Russians are doing uh, in, in Ukraine. That's a very strong word. I haven't heard a lot of people use that word to describe the war in that country, but tell me why that's the right word for you. Okay, I will make it blunt as I usually do and after listening what my good friend uh, uh, Cynthia said about and you know you discussed next generation civility project mm-hmm. you know in the regions I live this is not next gen- next generation civility this is 19th or 20th century barbarity that is coming wow. and what Cynthia is doing is very important because it's coming, it's coming now. You know, things that I saw in Ukraine, in Bucha, in, in a lot of other places of liberated Ukraine, that's, you know, I cannot even describe what it is when everybody is killed, if young Ukrainian is, jo- is not joining Russian army, killed on the spot, if 
when all the women raped in Bucha because Bucha was a lead Ukrainian suburb where Ukrainian pat patriots were living. And that's happening not only in Ukraine, that's happening all over the world for the last 15 years. Autocracies are coming, autocracies are marching, they, they, they work in harmony, they help uh, each other to kill freedom and democracy. For the uh, con uh, last uh, 16 consecutive years, we are dying on this globe. And it's not only wars outside, the wars are inside. You know, barbarians are already inside our countries. We are polarized. We cannot speak with each other. You know, autocratic features are coming. So if we do nothing uh, in, in, in Ukraine, if we do not defend that nation, you know, China will learn its lesson. And, you know, if China is doing the same with Taiwan and some other countries all around, half of the globe will be just a prison. I was living in a prison. I saw Soviet tanks. They killed my friends in, t in front of TV tower. I, you know, I was, I just, you know, was joking with Cynthia. But my first salary was five dollars a month. Mm. Uh, now I earn five hundred times more because of things you guys created and you shared with us. EU NATO membership. Cynthia Pasky's companies coming to Lithuania and building great effective American and other businesses, you know, attracting it from all over the world, using our talent. I am now happy person. I have four kids. <laughs> I presented my credentials to Obama, President Obama, and he said, thank you, Zhigis, for defending us with your generals, like General Kosciuszko, one of those six, you know, people standing in front of White House. It's my general, you know, who was trying to create that harmony two, two centuries uh, ago yeah. uh, because we adopted more or less similar constitution. And already then we've been killed and we had to emigrate, like Cynthia uh, Pasky's family, you know, emigrated from one of our big cities, Kaunas. Yeah. And by the way, I also remember remembered looking to Cynthia, another great American Lithuanian President uh, Adamkus, he was living in Chicago, he was cleaning your Great Lakes. Uh, uh, he had a farm in Michigan where he had gatherings of Lithuanians and he became my president. You know, he, he pushed uh, Lithuania back to, to Europe and NATO. So what I wanted to say, you can do it if you do it. But if you are not doing it, freedom is being taken from us, mm. and it's being taken now. I, you know, it's a it, it's such an important perspective because you're so close to, to what's going on, and the history is all interconnected. Ukraine, Georgia, Lithuania, uh, all these... Belarus. Uh, all of these countries that were formerly connected to mm -hmm. uh, the Soviet Union have the same issues, it seems like, that come up over and over. Well, from medieval ages, we have one slogan for our freedom and yours. If we are not united, if we are not fighting like brothers, you know, for each other's freedoms, like Lithuanian soldiers joining American soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, and, and Balkans, and also American soldiers now standing in, in, in the Baltics, yeah. prepared to fight. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you look to those Ukrainians, 40 or 50 million people, actually, powerful economy, most, well, much more powerful than Lithuanian economy, 10 or more times. Mm. 
it's a bread basket of the wall and now Russians are killing uh, the nation uh, uh, and also actually closing all the ways for them to feed the world mm. you know in in this year half of the world will experience famine in Africa and Asia because Ukraine was feeding them and Russians are closing all the ports like they did you know with Holodomor when uh, during uh, you know before second world war they killed 10 millions Uh, of uh, uh, Ukrainians because of famine so nothing is changing uh, like my old good friend McCain was saying this is the same KGB mafia that is running this you know this gasoline station Russia and and you know what we kind of killed uh, uh, Stalin uh, Hitler regime but for some geopolitical reasons we made a deal with the devil after Second World War in Yalta You know, my nation was sacrificed. Mm. You don't even know that, you know, 30,000 Lithuanians uh, were fighting for freedom after Second World War. Mm -hmm. And we were all learning English. You know why? Because we were waiting for Americans to come. Mm. So we, they came 50 years ago mm. with uh, President Bush <laughs> landing in uh, 20 years ago mm. with Cynthia Paskey opening its, uh, its company. And thanks God, because you, you recreate humanity, you, you recreate civility. The same things you are talking here. In, in, in Michigan and we want to be like you we mm. are like you mm. but and we don't want to be you know enslaved and we don't want to live in, in prison yeah, yeah. Uh, Cindy this is also personal uh, for you but but go back and talk about uh, the decision to open strategic staffing solutions in Lithuania and why it was meaningful you know, thank you it was it was meaningful you know Paul and I had an opportunity to be in that part of the world and um, we, we visited in Lithuania and a, a member of Parliament which was the first independent Parliament was kind enough to give us an audience um, and it was that perfect small world right his son had just come back from an IT consulting mm -hmm. assignment in Dallas mm -hmm. and his son was like My father just met you, but he thinks you're good people. Will you open a company here? <laughs> and we did, and that was almost 25 years ago. Yeah. And the talent there is amazing. Um, you know, you had a, a country of three million people with 30 universities um, and the spoken language, but also the strive to have an opportunity to work, to create opportunities, very westward-looking. So it was a it was a good business decision, but it was also a personal decision. Mm -hmm. I was the first member of my family who, as you know, have been gone for a long time and was able to go back to Lithuania. Yeah. Um, and and it it was the right business decision, but it was also the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so so you are trying to bring much more attention, not just up here on Mackinac, but but generally to the role that I think you feel the United States ought to be playing in yes. this conflict. Uh, talk about what it is you think we ought to be doing. I, I think that um, I think that that we should be one. We should keep the awareness. I know there's a there's a lot going on in the world. I understand that. That being said, Putin will not stop unless he stopped, and he will not stop <coughs> with. The Ukraine. the Ukraine. He will keep going and he will cross a line where he will cross a NATO member if we don't stop him. And when he does that, we will have a third world war. Um, there is the opportunity to not have that happen, um, but it has to move a lot quicker than it does, than it, it is right now. And we are still, um, we are still a strong voice. Um, there is no reason Germany should be moving as slow as they are. Um, the you know NATO and the EU is pushing on them. 
but the United States should be pushing on them as well. Um, I think that the United States has made progress with China. Uh, I believe that they were very stunned by the reaction of world leaders, the reaction of the EU, um, and, and stepped back their rhetoric some about how they supported Russia, but we can't let that drop. Um, I'm not advocating to send troops to the Ukraine. I understand <coughs> treaties and the value of them, but I also understand we're working with someone who does places no value on a treaty mm. and places no value on a human life. So let's not forget what we're dealing with and let's stop it before it becomes what what would be absolutely horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Go just ahead, adding from Lithuanian perspective, you know, with all your problems in America, you should understand you are the best on this planet. And it's either your system of values or make it blunt Chinese. You know, uh, when I'm also a uh, member of so-called Interparliamentary Alliance on China, mm -hmm. IPAC. Mm -hmm. You know, we analyze what China is doing now. You don't see it maybe from outside, but China is now silently taking all sectors of economy in Russia that we Westerners are abandoning. China is taking over Russia. And if Russia wins, China will do the same with half of the world. So, yes, as Cindy said, we have to stop the cancer growing. Now we are asking Americans to send most uh, technologically advanced missile and artillery system. We don't need American soldiers. They, honestly, Ukrainians, they, are the, the, they have the strongest army in in Europe to defeat the, the worst enemy of NATO for centuries, the KGB, who killed millions of people that we on need, this planet. We need resources. Yeah. You know, I'll give you a quick story. The Lithuanians um, crowd fundraised in two and a half days, five million euros, to purchase one of the most sophisticated military drones for the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Two and a half days, most of the donations were in 50 and 100 euros. Wow. And it was all Lithuanians. It was led by um, a, a radio station that would be very similar to WDET, actually. Mm -hmm. And they were like, let's see if we can do this. Two and a half days. Wow. Um, they need the technology, they need the tools, they need the resources. They will do the rest. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if you've had a chance to talk with uh, anyone in the administration maybe the president himself about how important it is to, that we that we do more I, I have not had the opportunity to speak with the president but I have uh, we have spoken to members of the cabinet um, to senators we've worked the hill um, you know Jeff Nelson is here with me and you've met Jeff in the past and and so we've we've leveraged every single relationship we started again last night with Senator Peters Senator Stabenow's team um, but we've gone beyond Michigan and it's and again it's the um, create awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Keep it up there. Remind everyone what the history is, mm -hmm. who we're dealing with, and what what will happen if it isn't taken care of. If and there is a something. path to do it. Um, this does not involve sending our troops, uh, you know, unless, of course, he crosses into a NATO country, and then it's a whole different discussion. Yeah. And maybe ahead, about this whole different discussion, in uh, two weeks, uh, uh, three weeks, we have Madrid-NATO summit, mm -hmm. where we are begging, asking, uh, Americans, please build your troops in the Baltics. You know, we, we again, we, you know, we will provide all host nations support. We'll build bases for you. You just come and stay. Please don't leave because sometimes we have months without Americans in the Baltics. And to be honest, Russians are afraid just of you. You know, we have German troops, we have other troops, but we just need you to send a clear signal to uh, to Russia that. It will not happen on NATO territory, what I saw, you know, in Ukraine, mm -hmm. on every spot Russia occupied. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I'm talking with uh, Cindy Paskey. She is the president, founder, and CEO of Strategic Staffing Solutions. Uh, also with us is uh, Zygimantis Pavlonis. He is a former Lithuanian ambassador to the U.S., a member of the Lithuanian parliament. They are both here talking uh, on Mackinac Island right now about uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the need, in their eyes, for the U.S. to be a lot stronger in its response uh, to that invasion. Ziggy, um, I want to I talk just a little also about what it's like for Lithuanians in Lithuania right now while this goes on. This is a, this is a nearby country that's being invaded. Um, what, is, what, is, what does that day-to-day feel like? I, I feel like for us here, it seems very distant, and that's part of what you guys are trying to, to mm-hmm. change is for us to feel like it's more... Uh, more on, on our doorstep, but it is literally on, on your doorstep. Well, honestly for us, it's nothing unusual. We've been living with the civil for 1,000 years. We've been stopping Mongol Tatar invasions. We've been stopping Russian invasions. And our empire was the biggest, like John Paul II was calling our you know, empire of two nations that was the biggest in medieval uh, Europe. Uh, we were the borders of evil. So that's why Cynthia found that fine uh, talent in Lithuania, because like uh, American historian Timothy Snyder is writing, we are the representative of bloodlands, we live in blood. So we resist the blood like Israelis, and that's why we know from the very you know, first day of our birth, we have to be excellent or the best. We cannot be average to survive. Mm. If we are just average, we die. Mm. But when I come to America, and actually symbolically on the way to, to Detroit, I was looking very old uh, movie Cabaret, you know, mm-hmm. 72, uh-huh. about pre-war <laughs> Berlin. Sometimes I feel that just people dance this Cabaret mm. and evil is coming. It's, it, you know, it already stomped your capital uh, um, yeah, building. You know, it, it's already here, you know all those you know autocratic features mm-hmm. in every capital mm-hmm. we have countries divided we have parties bought by russians we have chinese and russian influence on every corner and we and we just dance that cabaret mm. and well until some people dance we fight and right. we die wow wow uh, cindy i wonder if you can talk about the lithuanian community here uh, in southeast michigan uh, in in america and how they are responding to what's happening in Ukraine. Thank you. I think that a couple things. I mean, we're, there's, um, and, and we're part of this. I mean, S3 just sent a pallet of um, level four bulletproof vests over, not mm. for the military, but for police, fire, and EMS. Mm. So before the war, there was no violence in Ukraine. It was one of the safest countries you could have visited. Mm. So you have police, fire, and EMS doing their job, and they never had the need to have vests. So when they're out there, they're not protected. So the, the community in the United States were looking for ways to continue to support my husband Paul and I, along with our, our um, executive vice president Montes and his wife and the mayor of Vilnius, we arranged for a li- libraries to be set up with children's books written in Ukrainian because there are so many orphans and moms and children that have come to Lithuania and it's when it's a safe and comfortable place for them to go but it's also in their language so it's everything from books to children to vests for police and fire and then but I think really the most important thing is to create awareness so as you know Dan Lupp is gracious enough he and I are co-chairing a fundraiser tonight Mm -hmm. Um, we have two objectives we may raise money to support Ukraine 
equally important is to create awareness amongst people that are here to say, don't let this fall off what you see. Remember that it's real and remember that it has longer term ramifications than what's going on. Okay, Cindy Paskey and Zygamontis have loaned us. It was great to have both of you here. Thank you, Stephen. Always uh, great to catch up with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is going to do it for us today on Detroit Today. We'll be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. Yeah.